0: Hello, everyone. On this week's uh, episode of the First Take podcast, um, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about second quarter earnings season, which has um, started this week. And we'll also touch on a couple of other um, news events uh, that happened late last week and earlier this week, Uh, one of them being... um, the adcom uh, meeting for Roxadustat, which took place uh, last thursday will be discussing the potential fallout of that and we'll touch on some phase two data that uh, cytokinetics announced earlier this week for a cardiovascular drug uh, which looks pretty interesting and could have uh, some implications for bristol who um who is seeking approval uh, for a similar drug that it acquired um a year or so ago uh, in an in an M&A acquisition that cost them about 13 billion dollars so some potential implications there for BMS. Um, Michael, uh, it's good to speak to you. Um, Let's kick off with um, second quarter earnings season. Um, For those who haven't been tracking it, um, Johnson & Johnson announced their results on Tuesday as did Novartis and then earlier today we had both Roche and Biogen announcing their second quarter results um Michael, from a purely financial perspective um what has been your sort of take on 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 you know what's been announced by these first four big companies this week? You know It looks like things are kind of looking up in terms of sort of top line sales
1: been pretty positive, it seems like you know the top line results pretty much across the board have been pretty um encouraging. Um, especially J&J you know they were they were really strong obviously they're they've got their fingers in like almost everything you know it's like uh, they got consumer they got device they got pharma and everything seems to be going pretty well which I think speaks to probably the strength of the recovery uh, or the bounce back after the tough year that was 2020 Um, but the just sort of the top level sort of response or um impact seems seems like good you know the the results are going well and earnings earnings are strong
0: yeah i mean certainly in terms of of looking kind of um like i said on tuesday's results and then some of the results from today certainly i think you know johnson and johnson novartis and some of rosh's kind of established franchises that are you know would be considered growth franchises um you know they seem to be they seem to perform really well in the second quarter i mean obviously, one thing to consider is that q two of 2020 was obviously kind of particularly weak because most of the major markets in the world were 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 you know firmly in lockdown at that point. so I think in terms of the comparison, there was always going to be that kind of headwind for the last quarter. but i think um I think sales of those established products um, you know, seemed to be better than than everyone had really anticipated. And actually, I think it was Novartis's chief um, financial officer kind of conceded that, you know, that actually, yeah, you know, that the, the bounce back had been better than expected. Um, interesting that, you know, some challenges do seem to be persisting. The companies that have reported have given sort of slightly different figures on this, but sort of I think Novartis was saying on Tuesday that they kind of feel like their oncology um, portfolio is maybe not quite up to pre-pandemic levels. I think they were kind of talking about kind of certain, so anyway, certain cancer diagnosis rates being maybe at about seventy-five percent, and then Roche today were talking about you know. Sort of the cancer business being maybe back at kind of 90 percent of, of kind of pre-pandemic levels so i think that you know there's still further room for growth um and obviously there's this kind of um there's a sort of slight lack of commitment i think at this stage to say that everything is definitely going to be better in the second half of the year um i think pharma companies are obviously like everyone hopeful that there's going to be a kind of a continued return to normality um but certainly there's continued talk about you know the delta variant of covid19 um you know the fact that that hasn't necessarily spread um in the us and large parts of mainland europe yet and that could have um, an impact on 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 whether things can stay open and whether those uh, you know drug sales can can continue to recover at the current rates. I know you looked at Johnson and Johnson, Michael. What was your kind of take on their um, vaccine sales? Because obviously that was something that a lot of investors were looking at.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean the the sales themselves were minuscule. I mean, it was like a hundred and some million in sales worldwide, with fifty coming in the U.S. Which, I mean, for like a product that had just been launched, obviously that's, <laughs> in a general sense, not that bad. But then you compare it to what Moderna and then Pfizer slash BioNTech are reporting in the billions of dollars range. Obviously, that shows the um, the hesitance that uh, a lot of people are having to getting the J&J vaccine. Also, they obviously went through the temporary pause um, during the quarter, so that obviously it sales. Interestingly enough, uh, as small as sales were in the second quarter, J&J was pretty bullish about the way it's gonna go from here. They, I think their projections are, or their estimates is 2.5 billion in sales by the end of the year, um, which is obviously a huge number compared to what they've sold so far. And I think, I mean, aside from obviously being a good thing for their bottom line, that's probably a pretty um, positive reflection or read-through to Moderna, BioNTech, um, Pfizer, perhaps AstraZeneca, the other companies that are selling these vaccines because, you know, if they're seeing that much sales for one that um, has some question question marks hanging around, obviously the, the mRNA vaccines especially, you know, there's going to be the demand is there, and the big question being whether there's going to be variants and um, booster shots and all that. But it just clearly shows the uh, the demand that's out there for these things.
0: Yeah, I, I think when Pfizer announces its results, um, which I believe is next week, I mean, I think that's probably going to be the question that they're asked the most: is you know, what opportunity is there or what necessity is there going to be for the need to have boosters I mean yeah to put that 2.5 billion dollars for J&J's vaccine for the full year into perspective I think I'm right in saying that the consensus forecast for Pfizer's vaccine sales is eight billion dollars for the second quarter so (laughs) it's I mean yeah it's understandable why investors are keen to know um how durable uh Pfizer's vaccine revenues from COVID nineteen are because obviously it's. Uh, I think this is something we've spoken about previously. It's um, you know it's generating a, a potentially a huge amount of cash flow for Pfizer, which can be you know invested in other areas. A um, couple of other things I wanted to highlight um, from Novartis's results that we wrote about this week. If you know if anyone listening wants to wants to you know delve into it a bit more, then I, I urge you to sort of seek the articles out. Um, the head of um Novartis's pharmaceuticals division um played down you know was asked directly and played down the threats as uh, she felt from the SGLT2 inhibitors in the heart failure market obviously Novartis is um is in that market with Entresto which continues to be one of its um, most important growth drivers uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago that um Boehringer and um Boehringer and Eli Lilly's SGLT2 inhibitor Jardiance has hit its primary endpoint in a um, in a heart failure study uh, in patients with preserved ejection fraction. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what those data look like. But Novartis is kind of saying, um, you know, even if those data are really impressive, they think the two drugs will be used um, in combination rather than competing with each other on the on the whole. And Novartis also announced um, that their um, cardiovascular drug, um, Inclit, CYRAN, which has been resubmitted to the FDA. Um, They received a a complete response letter last December because of um, uh, manufacturing facility inspection issues. They've been set a new PADUFA date for um, the beginning of next year. Um, And I thought it was quite interesting listening to a few of the things the company was saying about the way that they're preparing for the launch. Just made made me wonder, you know, if, if the pandemic really has died down by the end of this year, early next, you know, that delay in a funny kind of way may even sort of serve Novartis well if they've had time to put more preparation into that launch. Um, that launch is obviously massively important to Novartis because it's the drug that they um, bought the medicines company for, uh, for about $10 billion a couple of years ago. Um, a lot of analysts still a little bit skeptical as to whether that was worth um the money. But Novartis thinks the drug can generate, you know, multi-billion dollars um in terms of peak sales. So that's an important regulatory date for the, for those guys to look forward to. Um, Michael, let's sort of shift our focus to the two companies that we're reporting today. Really interesting, simultaneous, um, Uh, earnings calls, so you had to choose, uh, as a a pharmaceutical journalist, you had to choose whether you were going to listen to the Biogen one or the Roche one. Most of the focus was about Alzheimer's disease. Biogen have obviously received approval for Aduhelm. Um, It's come in for a huge amount of scrutiny, directed both at the company and the FDA. Um, Biogen really today kind of were quite, um, I guess you could use the term aggressive in their sort of pushback, suggesting that there is a lot of misinformation being put out there, which is their suggestion is that it's actually now kind of harming potential adoption of Aduhelm um, and could potentially limit its use in Alzheimer's disease patients. So I sort of just wondered what, what you kind of made of, of the pushback from the company today.
1: I mean, I get it. I don't think it's going to have any impact whatsoever. You know, if there's patients with Alzheimer's disease and the families are dealing with it, they're going to, <laughs> you know, this some some to and fro in the press, whether it be the the lay press or like the, you know, trade press. That's not going to affect much. You know, the people are going to want this drug, and the debate. You know, I don't think it's really going to the negative media focus, as I think they're probably trying to portray it. I don't think it's going to have any impact. I understand where they're coming from. You know, they've been the they've been the butt of a lot of criticism over the last few weeks. Um, but, you know, I I just I don't really buy that very much. Um, I guess we'll we'll see. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it is interesting that they got this Roche and Biogen dueling conference calls uh, and i'm sure roche is probably being asked um about their gantan rumab i hope i'm pronouncing that right um and you know whether they're gonna file on it whether you know um they're going to follow on on Adie helms footsteps and sort of change the way they're doing the phase three and maybe get the data earlier did you do you hear uh anything on that on that front well that's exactly what they were asked basically over
0: and over again in the typical way that 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 these earnings calls sometimes work, with each analyst sort of trying to tease out, um, you know, an an additional sort of nugget of information um, from uh, Roche's head of pharmaceuticals, Bill Anderson. I mean, he wasn't really giving anything away. Um, he was sort of saying that obviously Roche, you know, continues to be in discussions with regulators and, you know, is obviously open to the idea of uh, accelerating regulatory procedures where both sides see fit. Um, but he was also sort of preaching, I would say, a, a quite a pragmatic approach, which I think, you know, is in is in direct contrast to the sort of situation that Biogen now finds itself in at this point in time. And, you know, I'm sure you could make the argument that, you know, the the, the, the sort of the, um, you know, defence mode that Biogen has found itself in, you know, on its own earnings call has probably made things sort of easier for Roche in some ways. Um, but the point that Anderson was really making was that, you know, there's a risk if they kind of try to do anything too early that uh, they could take this, um, potential phase three data set, which they, you know, they are confident about. They say that the phase three study for their drug has been informed by their prior experience in this space that they, they've obviously sort of, you know, had, had their own setbacks previously. Um, their, their drug like aduhelm is targeting beta amyloid plaques they feel it has a high chance of success or to, in his words not a not a low chance of success he didn't really want to write write off its chances um and they feel that if that data matures and is positive you know it could be you know in his words it could be the best kind of pivotal stage data set that we have and that we may have for some time in in the alzheimer's disease sort of space so um you know is it worth risking that for a quick filing um and the point he was making also was that you know look that data is going to read out in the second half of 2022 relatively speaking you know in relation to the typical sort of drug development time scale that's not too long to wait um and it's definitely not too long to wait you know if the data is really compelling um And I guess if, you know, I guess if if we're speculating here, you know, it could, you know, you could even argue there's a situation where Biogen obviously continues with the launch of Aduhelm. Um, There's going to be some kind of scrutiny around that. But then if if another drug comes along that has more compelling data, you know, from a commercial perspective, it's possible that, that that drug could piggyback on some of, you know, the barriers that maybe Biogen with Aduhelm has lowered. Um, over the coming months so I, I think it's hard to obviously sort of say definitively what Roche is going to do but I, I felt like they were they were taking quite a pragmatic kind of view today um obviously it's worth reminding people that eli Lilly, which is developing again another a third similar type of drug um which has produced some pretty impressive phase two data they have um submitted that data for approval to the fda so i think we're just waiting to see um how the agency responds to that, but certainly today from from roche's perspective, I definitely think kind of a you know a wait and see, but yeah taking a, a pragmatic kind of um, approach um, moving away from from earning season, which obviously continues next week i'm sure we'll we'll be discussing it more going forward, but moving away from it, Michael, I know you covered the adcom. Uh, meeting for Roxadustat that took place um later last Thursday um ended up um resulting in experts uh, recommending that the Roxadustat which is a treatment for anemia um it shouldn't be approved uh, by the FDA can you just sort of give us a, a few more thoughts on on how you you know, what you think might happen going forward and, and how you felt um, you know, that adcom panel kind of came to those conclusions?
1: Yeah, so the this class of uh pH inhibitors, um, the the prospects for it have really been sort of up and down over the years. Um, you know, I think a lot of analysts had these as like multi-billion dollar replacements essentially for ESAs. Um, in use as treatments for anemia in patients who have chronic kidney disease Um, and so the the big selling point is these are oral um, candidate you know they're oral drugs which would replace the the injectable or infused um, ESAs and so what happened is that you know the the phase three data came out and these these were from huge phase three programs multi-study um, you know, multi-geography, huge thousands of patient studies. And I guess we'll focus on fibrogens, roxadustat right now. But at the same time, it was in parallel being developed um, against a competitor, not against, but at the same time as a competitor from Akebia, Vatidustat. And so the phase three data for both these agents were sort of coming out in drips and drabs. And they looked pretty... Encouraging, and I think a lot of people, including clinicians, were getting kind of excited about them. But then, as more and more data came out, some red flags emerged on the safety side. Like, are these going to be better? Are these actually going to be worse than ESAs? And that's what basically it came down to for the um, AdCom last week on late late on Thursday when they basically rejected Fibrogen's uh, Roxadustat. In both the indications it was seeking which is use um, for treating anemia in CKD patients those that were not dialysis dependent and then those that are dialysis dependent so they're two separate groups and I think you know there was talk coming in oh are they gonna get a black box warning they'll probably get approved nope I mean, this the the adcom was very clear. They voted thirteen to one against use of these, or against approval of these, in the non-dialysis population, and twelve to two against in dialys, dialysis population. That these just are not ready for prime time. They want to see more data. I think they're basically questioning the cardiovascular safety of these agents, and that has read through not just for this program, which obviously is going to have you know fibrogen and AstraZeneca who they're partnered with are going to have to go back to the drawing board perhaps run some more studies it has read through clear clearly for akebia and, and that their program is sort of at the same stage about to go before the regulators and it has sort of that same air of like well is the cardiovascular safety really up to snuff so who knows what they're going to do there um, but interestingly enough uh, and uh, you wrote about this, that GSK then came out the next day and sort of maybe rubbed a little dirt in the wound of of AstraZeneca, right?
0: Yeah, so, you know, on the Friday, GSK announced a similar process, I guess. You know, they, they've got a, a five, uh, you know, a, a phase three uh, study program that comprises five uh, large studies um and they announced on friday that these studies have met their primary endpoints um in patients um you know with anemia that's due to to, to chronic kidney disease so yeah i mean i think we all saw that announcement and kind of felt you know it, it didn't feel like it was a coincidence that that there'd been a negative um you know adcom meeting on the thursday um, which, as you kind of you know, alluded to, has sort of cast some doubt over not only the, the the drug that the meeting was the subject of, but another drug that's kind of been developed in parallel. And then you've got um, you know a third player, if you will, coming along and saying, "Well, hang on, actually, our drug works." Obviously, there's also the sort of slightly intriguing fact that it's GSK. Um, you know, there's been lots of question marks about uh, the ability of that company to sort of innovate in terms of R and D. You know, from from my perspective as a UK-based you know pharma journalist, there's also the kind of the, the interesting angle that AstraZeneca has almost been held up as a bit of a blueprint blueprint for for Glaxo to kind of follow. Um, you know, they've really you know, AstraZeneca has really revitalized its pipeline in the last sort of decade or so. And 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 I think investors would love to see Glaxo do the same sort of thing. Um, I guess at the moment, there's the, you know, there's the idea that this is a provisional win for GSK. You know, we've got top line data and you really need to see, you know, detailed results. Um I guess not only to see if 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 the efficacy for this drug which is called daprodustat is there but really I guess you know what everyone is looking for is is the safety data and at this moment you know GSK is, is saying that everything's positive um but until we see the detailed results um you know I think I think like I said it's a potential or a provisional victory for GSK um you know I guess on a positive note, you'd view it as, well, this is now a potential opportunity for them to bring a drug to market where there might be, you know, less or perhaps no direct competition for a number of years. Um, so in, in in that sense, the, the adcom panel result, you know, could could potentially, uh, you know, sort of soften the competitive headwinds that they're going to face in the future. But obviously, we need to see the detailed phase three results. Um, Just to finish on this week, I thought it was worth mentioning some data that Cytokinetics announced. Um, It was some uh, phase two data for a drug called CK274. Um, It's been shown to significantly improve cardiac function in patients uh, with the inherited condition of obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um michael this is a you know we're seeing quite a lot of this at the moment we're seeing a lot of um you know uh novel drugs being developed in the cardio space and obviously this has implications for bristol Myers squib who bought um myocardia for just over 13 billion dollars last year i mean they're obviously further down the line uh, their drug sort of awaiting approval. I think in the US it could be approved right at the beginning of next year. But you've got to assume that the BMS is now kind of going to be looking over its shoulder. It might not have such a clear run on the market as it was hoping it would.
1: Right, exactly. So this is phase two data. And obviously, the phase two data look pretty good. Whereas, as you said, the Bristol Myers agent Mavicampton is now sort of right on the precipice of approval. But uh, so, you know, BMS paid $13 billion for for the program, uh, which is interesting because Cytokinetics just added about, so they added 15, about 55% to their market cap uh, over the course of the next couple of days after the phase two win. And that translates to only about a billion in market cap. So um, it's interesting that uh, <laughs> what investors are thinking, um, you know, obviously first Bristol Myers has Will have this first mover advantage. Um, it's a little too early. I know Cytokinetics was asked um, on the conference call to you know make comparisons, but they were they were very clearly not going to do that at this point.
0: Um, I guess it speaks really those respective valuations that you're talking about. I guess they speak to uh, the price that companies are willing to pay for that pivotal stage data because you know Bristol Myers. Um, pulled the trigger on that deal i think it was a month or two after the phase three data um for the uh the the myocardia drug read out um and and as you alluded to you know some analysts have actually even said you know this data for the cytokinetics drug you know it looks like it could be sort of marginally superior but obviously it's only phase two it's in a smaller number of patients Um, And we're going to have a couple of years yet to wait and see if those results can be replicated uh, in a phase three study as well.